0: Welcome to Putela, Escotia the only English-language podcast dedicated to Real Valladolid. Here is your host, Martin Devlin. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of a brand new season. As always, I'm your host, Martin Devlin. Thanks so much for joining me, especially to those of you who are finding the show for the first time. It's great to have you on board, and I do hope you're well. Here's what's coming up for you. Coming up this week on the buscella Scotia podcast. The podcast's been on an extended summer break, so what better way to bring you up to date with everything that's happened since we last spoke than a bumper edition of the headlines. They say a week is a long time in football, but by the time Real Vidalid kick off their season on Sunday night, it will have been 85 long days since their last competitive action. I'll review how the pre-season preparations have shaped up. A new season, a new manager and a new league. There's loads to look forward to as we begin the quest for promotion from the Segunda. But what happened in Spain's second tier last season and how will we fare against the other 21 sides out to chase the title? We go spying in the enemy camp as we bring you all the latest on our first rivals of the season, Las Palmas. What now feels like a hundred years ago, I posed the trivia question How many times have Real Vidalid been relegated? Well, I'll give you the answer and set another teaser to keep you guessing. And lastly, there's a little sneak peek at what will be included in the next show, but for now, it's time to kick off the first episode of the new La Liga Smart Bank season. One thing is for sure, it's going to be a great one. Here we go. Want to get your views across? Email the show on marty at Today's headlines The biggest news to come out of the aftermath of the relegation was the departure of manager Sergio González. He left the day after the final match day of the season along with sporting director Miguel Ángel Gómez with the latter being replaced by Fran Sanchez who comes in from Granada. Sanchez's arrival was announced by the club on June the 11th, and just five days later, we had a new man in the managerial hot seat. Pacheta, most recently in charge at fellow relegated side Huesca, was unveiled as Real Valladolid's 74th different manager since the club's inception in 1928. Full name José Rojo Martín, Pacheta was born in Salas de los Infantes near Burgos. The 53-year-old's hometown is less than 180 kilometres from the front doorstep of the José Zorilla Stadium. He counts Espanyol and Numancia among his clubs as a player and has also managed Numancia as well as Real Oviedo, Cartagena, Hercules, Elche and most recently Huesca, as well as brief spells in Poland and Thailand. There'll be a full profile of the new men in charge in coming episodes. So far, the summer transfer market has been extremely quiet with no new players recruited to the squad at the time of recording. There have been some departures, however, with the most notable of those being midfielder Michel, who leaves the club after five seasons. He moves on to Tenerife, and I would expect him to feature quite prominently for a team beginning their eighth consecutive season in the Segunda. All being well, Michel will be part of the Tenerife squad when the clubs meet in Vaidelede in match day five in mid September. Although not the most dynamic of players in terms of movement, Michel is a solid passer of the ball and played a big part in our successful promotion campaign in 2017-18. Returning to their parent clubs were the two low from last season, Jota and Kenan Codro. The Portuguese winger returns to Benfica having played 18 times in league and cup, scoring one goal in each of those competitions. Codro goes back up north to Balbão to rejoin Athletic Club having contributed, well, nothing. Absolutely nothing during his six month stay. Waldo Rubio has joined Cercle Bruges on loan for a season and appears to be doing quite well, having already scored twice in as many matches in the Jupiler Pro League. After sitting on the bench for the opening match against Beerschot, the 25 year old has played 27 minutes in each of the last two matches, and his goals have earned a point for his side against both OH Leuven and Club Bruges, so it looks like life in Belgium is suiting him well. Also on the way out are several Promesas players who had been on the fringes of the first-team squad. Left-back Ignasi Villarraza and left-winger Carlos Doncel are both away, having reached the end of their contracts. Centre-back Diego Allende has joined fellow Segunda side Lugo on loan for the season, where he'll link up with striker Chris Ramos, who has made a permanent move to the Galician side after spending last season on loan there. Ramos joined Real Valladolid in the winter transfer market of 2018, but only ever made seven appearances. Let's not forget, it was that same January window which brought us the great Lucas Rottpuller, who went on to play in exactly the same number of matches for Pusella as I have. None. Completing the departure list is Oriel Rey, a central midfielder who played twice in the Copa del Rey and once in the league last season, and he's joined Mirandes on a free transfer. All of this means that we have a squad of 33 players heading into the opening round of fixtures this weekend. 3 goalkeepers, 5 left backs, 5 centre backs, 2 right backs, 6 central midfielders, 1 left winger, 4 right wingers, 1 second striker, and 5 centre forwards, if you include Sergi Guardiola in that list, and trust me, I wish I didn't have to. As I mentioned in the introduction, by the time our campaign gets underway on Sunday night it will have been 85 days since that bitterly disappointing afternoon where we were relegated from the Primera after the last match of the season. Not only that, but we had to suffer watching our opponents, Atletico Madrid, celebrate claiming the title in our backyard. That is a day which will be remembered for all the wrong reasons by everyone connected with the club here, but from here on in it's all about looking forward with renewed optimism. So, with that in mind, let's now take a look at how the preparations for the new season have panned out, and... ...to be perfectly honest, it hasn't been the smoothest of off-seasons. So much for that renewed optimism, eh? The first team players reported back to the stadium on July 5th for medical testing and began on-the-field activities two days later at Los Anexos pitches. The following day, the squad went through their first double session. All good so far, right? Well, it didn't take long for the first challenge of the pre-season to present itself, as midfielder Ruben Alcaraz tested positive for Covid-19 and was forced into isolation. For those of you who kept tabs on the team last season, we were hit particularly hard with Covid cases, as well as suffering more than our fair share of injuries. At one stage, we had 12 players missing from the squad through a combination of illness, isolation, injury and suspension. I'd kind of hoped that we had left these kinds of troubles behind, but clearly this wasn't the case as on the same day as Alcaraz's positive test, fellow midfielder Kike Perez fractured the fifth metatarsal on his left foot. Surgery took place at the hospital Ricoletas Campo Grande with immediate success, although Kike was forecast to be out of action for three months. In fact, exactly one month later, on August the 9th, the club shared a video on social media of the player doing light gym work, so it seems that his recovery timeline is on schedule. Jawadel Yamik and Fabian Oriana returned from international duty to join the group on July 13th. The Moroccan defender had featured in friendly matches against Ghana, where he scored the winner, and Burkina Faso, while Oriana had been in Chile's squad for World Cup qualifying matches against Argentina and Bolivia, but didn't feature. Defender Javi Sanchez was the next to return a positive Covid test, so into isolation he went, along with goalkeeper Jose Antonio Caro as a close contact. There's a cheap joke in there about now knowing that Caro will at least have caught something this season, but I won't make it. Oh, wait, I guess I just did. In more positive news, pardon the pun, that same day the club released a teaser photo of the home kit for the upcoming season, indicating that it will be released the following day, July 15th. They also showed off the new team bus, which will transport them to matches this season. Now that doesn't sound like major news, but I'm a bit of a sports bus geek, and so is my youngest son, so these things are important to us. I can confirm the new wheels look really good, and I always think that rolling up in an eye-catching bus signals a club's intention and makes them look professional, but that's just me. So the next day, fans waited for the release of the new home kit. And we waited. And we waited. And then, we waited some more. Until finally, the club's social media was awash with the kit which will hopefully see us earning a few more victories than we did last season. Again, it's manufactured by Adidas the third season in a row, but it looks like they finally listened to fans' complaints about the shade of purple used on recent home kits. In season 2019-20, they came out with a terrible shade of almost navy blue which was compounded in its lunacy by not only featuring red trim on the cuffs, collar and Adidas logo, but featured the correct shade of violet on the stripes of the club crest. It sported a plain white back which made individual players look like they were wearing different shirts depending on the viewing angle on the field, and along with the white shorts and socks meant you could easily have mistaken us for Real Madrid, but obviously not in plain style. Fast forward another 12 months to last season and we were presented with a gradient in the striping which went from that hideous blue at the bottom to something more akin to the correct shade as the stripes reached the chest. An improvement, yes, but it was accented by shocking neon pink on the cuffs, Adidas striping and piping on the collar as well as down the shorts and a little touch on the socks. The plain white back made it into another season too. In contrast, this year's effort seems much more traditional. If time permits, I'll do a video review of the home shirt, as I've just got my hands on one in the last couple of days. Adidas seem to have played it safe, leaving behind any ill-advised third colour trim, and improving the stripe colour, although it's still a touch or two dark for my liking. It's arguably still more purple than violet, but hey, at least it doesn't look like navy blue. The stripes themselves are solid with no gradient, and purple trim down both sides of each stripe is a nice touch. On the back, stripes are featured on the lower quarter, leaving a blank area for namesets and numbers. Estrella Galicia remains the main shirt sponsor on the front, and the club offers the choice of sponsorship printing of Herbalife Nutrition on the lower back of the shirt or without. Personally, I don't have a preference either way, and I actually ordered mine with the back sponsor, although it arrived without, but I don't mind. What I do mind, though, is the price. The basic shirt is €79.95 and should I have wished to have had a name and number printed on, along with the €20 shipping charges, the whole thing would have cost me the princely sum of €114.95 which is absolutely extortionate. I went for a shirt without a name and number and purchased a couple of other small things to justify the €20 shipping charge but I don't have any additional outlay to the club unlike fans who attend the matches regularly, so I feel I can just about get away with paying that price. However, on top of season tickets, travel and food, it's no wonder that loyal fans are being priced out of going to the match. At midnight the away kit was released and it's, well, different. Last season was a bold purple and neon-pink abstract affair, while this season the away kit pays homage to the often tricky weather experienced by the citizens of Viadaleed. The shirt could be tagged as 50 shades of purple, offering a pixelated image of swirling clouds representing the thick and mysterious fog which can envelop the stadium during matches. It really has to be seen to be believed. The shirt, that is, not the fog. The back of the shirt is a plain dark purple with the inscription "Temed a la Niebla, or Fear the Fog, under the base of the neck. It has grey cuffs, collar and trim down the sides and features a sort of light turquoise colour to the Adidas stripes, logo and, controversially, the club badge. I'm not a fan of manufacturers tampering with badge colours and would prefer to have seen the traditional colours used here, as well as a return of the city shield to the sleeves of both the Home and Away kits, which have been absent since Adidas's return to making the kits. So, with shiny new buses and kits out of the way, it's time to step back from the cosmetic elements and onto the field. The team got their first outing of the pre-season just down the road at Tordesillas, which is about 20 minutes to half an hour from the Jose Zorias Stadium. There, they took on Club Atletico Tordesillas, a third division outfit, in a friendly match in every sense of the word, as there's a great community connection between the two clubs and sets of fans. However, the hosts were no match for Pozella, who, wearing the new hot off the press away kits, racked up a 5-0 lead inside 38 minutes and ran out comfortable winners by a score of 9-1, courtesy of goals from Nacho, Oscar Plano, Alvaro Aguado, Kuki Zalzar, Sean Weissman, Marcos André, Bruno Gonzalez and two from Lucas Olatha. However, there was no time to rest and feel pleased with the way life was going as the following day, guess what? Covid was back! Yay! The latest to return a positive test was Fede San Emeterio, the fourth player in 10 days to do so, and that prompted the club to agree to suspend their planned fixture against Palencia Cristo Atletico that evening. This decision was further vindicated when Aguado was also placed into isolation after a positive test. Two days later, July 19th, Ruben Alcaraz, the first player to test positive this season, was able to reincorporate into the group after his isolation period ended. Sadly for him, he made it back just in time for squad-based training to be suspended, as Victor Garcia and Saidi Janko became number 6 and 7 to test positive. Further fixtures against Unionistas de Salamanca and Ponferradina were shelved as the outbreak threatened to get out of control. The following 48 hours brought cases 8 and 9 with Moy Delgado and Roque Mesa the latest to fall victim. As players were forced to train individually, the following week thankfully passed without incident. Javi Sanchez and José Antonio Caro returned to the fold as group activities resumed on July 26th, but friendlies against Osasuna and regional rivals Cultural Leonesa were cancelled for safety reasons. This meant that five out of the first six planned matches would no longer take place. That day, the club opened up its season ticket campaign and were bowled over by selling more than 3,000 subscriptions in the first 24 hours. This rose to more than 10,000 in the space of a week from the launch, signalling the desire for fans to get behind the team and cheer them on after such a long time without being able to attend matches. They were given their first chance to do so on August 4th when Rayo Vallecano came to town to contest the 47th Trofeo Ciudad de Valladolid, an annual event which often takes place during the Autumn International Break. 510 days after last setting foot inside the Jose Zorilla Stadium, a reduced capacity saw 12,729 lucky spectators get behind the Blanca Violetas and roar them onto a 3-1 victory, with goals from Olatha, Weissmann and Tony Villa in an emotional but successful return to their home turf. The final warm-up match came on August 6th against Amorabieta at Estadio El Plantillo in Burgos. After Kiko Olivas and Nacho had earned a 2-all draw in regulation time, Real Valladolid prevailed in the penalty shootout to round off a difficult pre-season campaign with three wins out of the three matches played. But new manager Pachetta was quick to make note in the post-match press conference that the tenacious opponents showed him what his side will face and that they'll not walk their way through the league but will be made to fight for every point. The 2020-21 edition of La Liga Smart Bank was a keenly contested affair with Espanyol and Real Mallorca, both of whom had dropped down a division the previous summer, leading the charge. Mallorca manager Vicente Moreno left his post on the island following that relegation to take the reins at Espanyol and he guided his new charges to title glory. Such was the competitiveness for the automatic promotion places that both Espanyol and Real Mallorca finished on an equal 82 points, meaning that head-to-head records were called into play. The Barcelona-based side had won once and shared the points in the two meetings between the sides, thus giving them a four points to one advantage, meaning they took the crown. The playoffs pitted third-placed Leganes, who had also been relegated from Primera the previous season, against sixth-placed Rayo Vallecano. The Madrid outfit saw off Lega 5-1 on aggregate, while Girona, who had finished 5th, overcame 4th-placed Almería. In the playoff final, Rayo came into the second leg losing 2-1, but ran out 2-0 winners in that match to take the final promotion place and consign the Catalans to the heartache of falling at the final hurdle for the second consecutive season. Rayo returned to the Primera for the first time since 2018, the same year as Real Valladolid had won promotion via the playoffs. At the other end of the table, four teams were relegated to what has now become known as the Primera RFEF, or the old Segunda Bay. They were Sabadell, Union Deportivo Logroñez, Castellón and Albacete. The latter had spent 39 out of 42 weeks in the relegation zone and occupied the bottom spot for 24 of those. So this season it's all changed. Gone are Espanyol, Real Mallorca and Rayo Vallecano. Real Valladolid are joined by Huesca and Eibar as the relegated sides who almost instantly find themselves considered among the favourites to return. But will it be as easy as it sounds? The Segunda is packed with talented sides, not least Almeria, Legonez and Girona who will be looking to take that final step and prize themselves out of the second tier. Real Zaragoza, Real Oviedo and Malaga are all sleeping giants with proud histories of competing among the elite. Could this be the year that one, or more of them, finally get it together and oust the favourites? Will there be a surprise package? One of the mid-table teams who will shock everyone by climbing into the far reaches of the table, perhaps? You would expect Arpozela to fare well against the newly promoted sides of Burgos, Real Sociedad Bay, Amorabieta and Ibiza, but there are several other clubs who will be keen to take the scalp of a bigger name, recently wounded by relegation. Let's not forget too that this season will pit us against rivals Sporting Gijón, a team we haven't faced in competitive action since 2018. That's definitely one side who will raise their game against us. For an in-depth preview of the La Liga Smart Bank season, head on over to the latest episode from the guys at Spanish Segunda podcast. Hosted by Alex Fitzpatrick, he and Liam Bambridge go through the chances of the title hopefuls, the playoff contenders and the rest of the bunch fighting it out in an ultra-competitive division. You can find the boys on Twitter on @SegundaSpanish. Now I'll pop a link to their Twitter account and podcast address in the episode description as well as through my own Twitter account. Spanish Segunda is the place to get all the news and information about second-tier football in Spain. There's literally nowhere else more informed and knowledgeable. As the season progresses, I'll take a closer look at our opponents, starting with Sunday's first hurdle, Las Palmas. Stay tuned to the Pasella Scotia podcast for more. Unión Deportiva Las Palmas were founded 71 years ago in August 1949 and are based in, as the name suggests, Las Palmas, which is the capital city of Gran Canaria in the Canary Islands. The islands are part of Spain's autonomous communities and are situated approximately 100 kilometres west of Morocco off the African mainland. The football team play their home matches in the Estadio Gran Canaria, which was opened in 2003, and has a capacity of a little over 32,000. It replaced the old Estadio Insular, which was built in 1945 and had been the club's home for the entirety of its history. The first team is coached by Pepe Mel, a former striker for Real Betis, Granada and Getafe, among others he has managed extensively in the Spanish game, counting Tenerife, Etafe, Deportivo Alaves, Rayo Vallecano, Real Betis and Deportivo La Coruña, among some of his former clubs. He took the reins in March 2019 and has coached Las Palmas in a little over 100 matches with a 33% win record during this time. 34 of Las Palmas' 71 years have been spent in the Primera, but they've struggled since the turn of the century, spending just five seasons in the top flight, with 15 in Segunda and two in Segunda Bay. The last time they were in the Primera was season 2017-18, when they finished second bottom and dropped down a division, just as Real Valladolid were going the other way. Since their return to the second tier, they have posted 12th and consecutive 9th placed finishes. Last season's 9th place saw them accumulate 56 points, finishing 11 points off the top 6 and those all-important playoff places. Their record was curiously equal, posting 14 wins, 14 draws and 14 losses. Top scorer was the Argentine striker Sergio Araujo, who netted 11 times in 29 appearances, but after several loan spells bouncing back and forth with AEK Athens, he's made a permanent move to the Greek side this summer. The 28-year-old's departure leaves a big gap up front for the Islanders. One of last season's most impressive players was another Sergio, not a name that Real Vital fans will instantly link with success, that's for sure. Sergio Ruiz, a 25-year-old Spanish central midfielder on loan from MLS side Charlotte FC, not only clocked up five goals in 37 appearances, but added six assists and only central defender Alex Suarez clocked up more minutes among the squad with 3,191 to Ruiz's 3,092. Speaking of central defenders, Posella fans may be familiar with recent Las Palmas signing Raúl Navas, who signed from Cartagena in July. He's a former Real Valladolid Promesas player who forced his way into the first team in the 2009-10 season, but didn't make his debut until the last match of that season. That was the ill-fated 4-0 loss to Barcelona at Camp Nou in May 2010, which saw Posella relegated. He went on to make another four appearances for the first team before joining Celta Bay in August 2011. He's an experienced player, having represented Abar over 100 times, as well as Osasuna and Real Sociedad on 76 occasions, including three outings in the Europa League. Our record against Las Palmas is curious to say the least. Overall, it's not bad as we've won 43.9% of the matches, 18 out of 41. There have been 10 draws and 13 losses, while we sport a superior goal difference of plus 12. In home matches, we've been nothing short of dominant, winning 17 out of 21 contests—that's 81 percent—drawing twice, and losing just twice. We've outscored Las Palmas 51 to 18 at home, a goal difference of plus 33. That's all well and good, but in complete contrast, our away record is terrible. In 20 visits to the island, we have won only once—a measly 5 percent success rate for those keeping score at home—and that was back in match day 27 of the 1980-81 season. Since recording a 2-0 win in March 1981, we have drawn seven and lost six of the subsequent away matches and have a negative 21 goal difference. So, it's night and day when you compare the fortunes based on venues. The last nine meetings between the sides have yielded perfect balance though, three wins for each team and three draws. The sides last met in the feisty promotion playoffs of season 2014 15, with Ruby in charge of Real Valladolid and Paco Herrera, who would go on to become Pusela manager the following year, at the helm of the visitors, who included current Blanca Violeta midfielder Rocky Mesa in their lineup. We had been relegated the previous season and were looking to get straight back into the Primera at the first time of asking. The first leg was played at a very wet Jose Zoria and Sergio Araujo opened the scoring on a waterlogged pitch after just eight minutes, beating Jesus Rueda to an angle ball and slotting home past Javi Varas. Pozella responded with Hernán Pérez gathering a pass from captain Álvaro Rubio and crashing a low shot from the edge of the box in off Raúl Litoáin's near post on 22 minutes. We had our right-back Javi Chica dismissed on 74 minutes for a second yellow card after a heavy challenge on Emmanuel Culio. Then, six minutes later, he was followed to the dressing room by David Timor, who picked up his second booking of the afternoon thanks to a clumsy sliding challenge from behind, which was kind of made to look worse as he hydroplaned several yards further than he would have done on a dry pitch after separating substitute Hernán Santana from the ball. The bad-tempered affair continued into the dying moments of the match when the ball needed to be dislodged from what looked like a small lake on the near touchline, and Carlos Pena tangled with David Simon, with both engaging in shirt-pulling and grabbing. During the tussle, it looked for all the world like Pena was struck in the face as he fell to a heap in the mud, but much to the fury of the onlooking Real Vidalid bench, the visiting right-back was only shown a yellow and Pena was also booked for his part in the incident. Araujo nearly won it at the death, scraping a bouncing shot past the post in the final moments, and the match ended 1-1. But at Ruby's side we go into the finely poised second leg, short of two suspended starters. The ill feeling from the first leg carried over to the return fixture three days later in Las Palmas, with no quarter given by either side. There were certainly plenty of talking points and not all for the quality of play on the pitch. Javi Varas pulled off a superb double save to deny firstly Jonathan Vieira and then Araujo and also smothered a shot from the latter inside the box following Mesa's cutback later in the first half as the hosts exercised their dominance in possession. Real Valladolid didn't really get moving until the second half and Hernán Pérez, the goalscorer in the previous match, was guilty of wasting Johan Mojica's cutback as he sliced his shot from the penalty spot out for a throw-in after the Colombian had teed him up. Just as he had done in the previous meeting, Araujo latched onto Rueda misjudging a high ball and raced through on goal but saw his shot go narrowly wide. The match exploded into life in the 72nd minute when Hernán Pérez fell David Simón on a breakaway in the far touchline and received his second yellow card. The Islanders turned up the heat, pressing to make the man advantage count, but couldn't find a way through. Araujo should have buried the tie when he gathered a speculative long ball upfield and beat Reda for pace, drawing a save from Varas, but then putting another effort wide left with a goal at his mercy. Further drama was to come when substitute Astrubal Padrón hit the deck inside the box under the challenge of Varas, as Las Palmas attempted to almost walk the ball into the net. Having already been cautioned, the Pocella goalkeeper was, you have guessed it, sent off, making it four dismissals in two matches for Ruby's side. By this point, the manager had used all three substitutions and was therefore unable to bring reserve goalkeeper Raúl Fernández into play. Rueda took the gloves and the number one shirt to face the penalty, but it didn't actually have to do anything as Araujo skied his effort over the bar in the 92nd minute. However, there was no time for Bozella to launch one last assault and they crashed out of the playoffs at the semi-final stage on the away goal ruling. While we were resigned to what would turn out to be another three seasons in the second tier, Las Palmas would go on to beat Real Zaragoza in the two-legged playoff final again on away goals. A 3-1 loss at La Romareda was eradicated by a 2-0 win on home soil and the island side were promoted to Primera, becoming the third team to go up, Alongside Real Betis and Girona. So, maybe a chance to settle old scores this season then? Oh yes, it is indeed that part of the show that I like to call the Pocella Escocia Trivia Question. At the end of our last episode, back in May, I asked you the following question. How many times have Real Viadaleed been relegated? Looking back, it was a bit of a morbid question, but it certainly seemed relevant at the time. Well, you've had plenty of time to come up with a number, so I can now exclusively reveal that the answer is... Yes, it first happened in 1944, with the team dropping from Segunda to Tercera. Then in 1958, 1961 and 1964 from Primera to Segunda, 1970 from Segunda down to Tercera, and then 1992, 2004, 2010, 2014, and obviously most recently, 2021, all from Primera down to Segunda. Yikes, that's a lot of relegations, so let's have a little bit more positivity, shall we? Looking ahead to our first match of the season, the question for this episode is as follows. Who is Real Valladolid's all-time top goal scorer against Las Palmas? Okay, I'm looking for just one player. That's the Real Valladolid player with the most goals scored in fixtures between these two sides. If you know the answer, here's how you can get in touch. Get in touch with the show on Twitter at MartyRVCF or search Facebook and Instagram for Priscilla Escocia. We've reached the end of another episode and at the risk of sounding like a promoter for Dr Dre, here's what you can look forward to in the next episode. Next time on the pasella Scotia podcast. I'll review our match against Las Palmas. Can we start the season off on the right foot on the beautiful island of Gran Canaria? It's not just the first team in football beginning their new challenges. The Promesas and Real Lead Baloncesto are also starting new campaigns under new leadership. I'll let you know what our younger players and the basketball side have been up to over the summer. I'll answer the trivia question and also set you another one. And we'll take a look at the first of our accounts of the week for teams related to the second tier, but in the meantime don't forget to check out our friends over at Segunda Spanish for league-wide coverage. All the details will be in the episode description, as well as in posts promoting this episode. I hope you've enjoyed the show, it's been great to be back. Special thanks go out to you if you're tuning in for the first time, and I hope to see you back here regularly. Please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you choose to listen to podcasts on, and you'll get notifications of each episode as they're published, which is especially handy due to my ad hoc style of releasing them. Lastly, don't forget to check us out on social media and please do tell your friends and family all about us. Thanks again so much for listening. Stay safe and I'll see you next time on Postella Escossia.